Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ass mapped episode 116. We accidentally wrote 115 in the title, but that was last week. So welcome to the 116th episode of Ass Map. This is the session formerly known as Ask the Dean. It's still the same people. We're just not all deans. Uh, so here we are for live pre-health Q&A, one hour of free advising with expert advisors from the MAP team. If you don't know me, I am Rachel Grubbs. I am one of the MAP co-founders along with Dr. Ryan Gray, who is on a plane traveling to Florida to speak to some students. Uh, so I'm here to help you. I've uh, been an MCAT and pre-med advising for about 20 years now, so uh, looking forward to answering your questions. With me today, Dr. Scott Wright. Hello, hello, hello. Scott, you are the former director of admissions at UT Southwestern. Right. You're a former executive director of TMDSAS, which is the Texas Application Service. Yes. And it doesn't even fit on the banner, but you used <laughs> to be a dean, hence the yes. name, yes. of undergraduate education and pre-health advising at UT Dallas. Yes. Uh, yes. Are yes. you a bajillion years old? How'd you do all that? Yeah, I'm 97. Uh, <laughs> you look amazing. No, actually, I'm only 45. I started when I was uh, 12 years old. <laughs> wow. Prodigy in the making here. Right. He was a so, prodigy. Uh, <laughs> he's got amazing credentials and a great sense of humor. What more could you want? Uh, also with us, Verinia Granham. Verinia has her master's in education. She is the former assistant dean, another dean, uh, of pre-health and STEM advising from Hofstra University. Uh, you've been an expert for a long time. We're thrilled to have you here. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Yes, I started when I was 10. Uh, I've been doing this for 20 years now. Um, I'm very happy to be here. Glad to be here. Looking forward to answering some questions for students. Yeah, I always miss Ryan when he's not here, but I still love to hang out with all you guys and the yeah. students. All right. And last but definitely not least, Courtney Lewis. Courtney is the newest member of the MAPT advising team, but not at all new to admissions. In fact, she is a former director of admissions of Burrell College of Osteopathic Medicine. Courtney, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry I wrecked the name of this session and you guys had to change it because wow, wow, wow. <laughs> You know, that's not really why, because I'm here every week and I'm not a dean either. <laughs> <laughs> so now, now what it is is that we have three non-deans and two deans so we've got the majority okay um, and whatever you know, whatever i mean you guys with your fancy dean titles are experts but so are we yeah <laughs> that is true very true yes. very true yeah. all right so this is the group you've got with us today four of the five map team advisors we are here to answer any questions you have about not just the pre-med, but the pre-health process. So, um, you know, this is mostly a pre-med audience, but we've got pre-physician assistant, pre-dent, um, lots of pre-health professionals here. So ask away. We are excited to uh, answer your questions. 
Cool. Let's see. I'll grab this one from Andrew. Andrew says, I have an interview coming up. What is one thing you feel gets neglected in interview prep? Uh, let's do a round robin. Everyone can chime in on one thing. Uh, Dr. Spat Wright, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, first of all, Andrew, congratulations on an interview. This is awesome. Uh, you should be super excited and I'm excited for you. So that's great. Um, I would say two things about this. The first is um, read through your application and the secondary application that you submitted for that school prior to going in. You just want to remind yourself of what you wrote uh, just so you're consistent with whatever. Not that you're going to necessarily be inconsistent, but you want to just remind yourself of what you wrote in your application, what you wrote in the secondary so that you're uh, it's fresh on your mind. Uh, so I think that's a, a really big thing. The other thing I would suggest is, is uh, that sometimes gets neglected is do some research, uh, you know, just Google research uh, a little bit on what are the big topics in healthcare that are going on these days? What, what, it, what are people talking about politically, socially, uh, what's being talked about so that you you're aware of what the big, big, you know, issues are. Uh, the other thing I would suggest is go, do, do some Googling on uh, medical ethics and uh, what you see, what, what they're talking about in medical ethics. What are the big issues? Stuff like that. I think uh, this can give you even if a question doesn't come up that is really specific to that. Uh, it can it can add background information for you that can be very helpful. And then if a question does come up about the healthcare system or a change that you would make to the healthcare system or something to that effect, you're, you 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 really do have a uh, uh, the ability to address that uh, quickly and with, with some level of uh, specificity. Great, Courtney. What do you have, Dad? Okay, so for neglected, I would say something that I've I've noticed with um, doing some of the academy sessions and, and in prior experience is you haven't verbally practiced the why you or tell me about yourself. You have notes on what you want to say. You've kind of formulated the thought, but you've never actually verbalized it. And I think that that's very different and it can cause you a lot of stress if what was in your mind isn't coming out orally how you anticipated. And so I would do recordings of yourself and actually practice verbally responding to prompts for questions, especially ones where you're talking about yourself, since those can be a little bit uncomfortable. And that would be my tip. I think it often gets neglected. I think it can reduce a lot of stress and help you um, if you've just practice things verbally. Great. Verenia, anything you want to add? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think all very good points have all been made. Um, I think one thing that I emphasize is uh, sometimes students neglect um, creating or coming up with questions to ask the interviewers um, mm -hmm. that are that will give you insight into what their program is like, that will give you an idea of what their campus is like. A lot of times when I'm doing mock interview prep, I get to a point where I'm like, okay, do you have any questions for me? And they're completely unprepared. So come prepared with at least two or three questions that are not things that you could easily look up 
on their website, but maybe ask their opinion about, you know, what, what's their favorite part about their school, uh, about that particular program, but come prepared with at least, you know, two or three questions so that you're not there kind of floundering, trying to figure out uh, what to ask. Yeah. All right. We did a good round there. Let's move on to the next question. Good. Alina says, am I disadvantaged, quote, enough, end quote, if I'm an immigrant who didn't have access to health care before I got documents and because of quarantine, I have a health first insurance now? Thank you. So, Alina, there's a couple different answers to this question. So what I'll start with is if you're applying to AMCAS, for them, disadvantaged is an essay. And it, therefore, it's sort of a personal choice. Um, the prompt does give some suggestions of these are things that may have happened to you that may be why you think you're disadvantaged. But it really is um, student subjective. So if you think you can make a case for it, then you should do so. Um, the other thing that I always think is interesting, and this is even if you're not applying outside of AMCAS, if you're only doing allopathic schools, not applying to Texas or DO, um, I always think it's really interesting to look at a Comus in Texas for the way they handle disadvantage, because the, um, a Comus in particular has two sections, and one is about what they refer to as environmental disadvantage, and then one is financial disadvantage. And it's not an essay; it's simply questions. You ask yes or no, you list the facts, and they make a determination based off of that data. And it tends to be things like, "I grew up in a home where English was not the first language." I immigrated to the United States. I lived in an underserved medical area or didn't have access to doctors, right? So what you're describing in this question says to me that at least by a Comus's definitions, there's a good chance you would mm -hmm. qualify. So mm -hmm. I, I don't know about enough, right? Because again, two, two application services say it's quantifiable and you just answer the questions and they'll decide. And one is subjective, but I find that typically people who think they're disadvantaged are right. Um, and, you know, uh, it, it, people tend to have a pretty good gut on that, right? Um, so if that was the life you lived and that's your instinct that you have some disadvantages, you are, you are probably correct. Um, and just from the little you've given, it seems to me like you're fine. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Jacob asks, how do you give a letter writer an out when you ask for a letter in person? I love this question because I think it's so important. Uh, Verenia, you want to take this one? Sure. Hopefully you have a relationship with this person where they may not necessarily need to have an out. However, it is, it is considerate to, to have that in mind. They may not be comfortable. They just, for whatever their reasons are. Um, I like to tell students, you know, just, a, I would, like contact them before you even see them in person. Let them know ahead of time. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to request a letter from you. It's just sometimes easier in writing if you just draft a, a message to them, include your resume, your activities and things like that. But if you're in person and you have a good relationship with them, you can simply say, I'm applying to medical school. I really enjoyed you know, working with you. Or I really enjoyed your class. Um, would you be comfortable writing me a strong letter of recommendation? And that's it. And leave it at that. And if they really just don't feel comfortable, it's okay. Just say, okay, well, thank you. I appreciate it anyway. I still, I really enjoyed your class and keep it moving. 
Um, but I, I would prefer that students contact the person ahead of time in writing first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's really interesting because I have tended to advise the other mm -hmm. and that's okay. Right. Because advisors are not a monolith, right? If you ask 10 experts, you might get 10 different answers. I have historically said, ask in person so you can read their face. Um, because I think sometimes the long pause mm -hmm. is telling. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it, I don't it, I think that means that I'm right and Verena is wrong, right? Both, both things are probably right in certain circumstances, but I do agree 100% with the wording Verena offered. I'm going to be looking for letters of recommendation. You know, if you're asking two years out, which is actually what I recommend, right? So you're a sophomore, you love your orgo camp professor, ask then, not for them to write it, but say, I'm going to need one in a year and a half. I'd love to be able to keep in touch with you because that's an easier yes, right? Um, and then you can keep in touch so they remember you and like you when it's time to do it. But if you're at that moment where you need one, again, the wording that Verena used, I think is spot on. It's, would you feel comfortable writing a very strong letter of reference for me? Because that gives them a chance to say, well, I don't know how strong it would be because I like you, but I don't know you that well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, that's obviously an easier no to hear than no, because I don't think you're that great. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, you can't be accountable for whether or not that person is able to have a direct conversation. So you just have to assume that they will, right. Ask them a polite direct question and assume you're going to get a polite direct answer. Um, but, but yeah, I also find if they pause a lot, then, then you can address that as goes like, yeah, if you have concerns, let me know. Or if you're not sure it would be a very strong letter, I appreciate that candor because I'm looking for people who can write me strong letters. Um, you know, you could be really grateful. A no could be a huge favor. I'd much rather have a no mm -hmm. than a damn with faint praise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Albert. How should I think about my MCAT? How should I think about the MCAT? My exam is Friday and it will be my third attempt. Any suggestions on how to handle the situation and remain calm during it? Um, well, I know a lot about the MCAT, but I'm not the only one. Dr. Wright, you wanna tackle this? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, Albert, you know, I, I um, appreciate your candor and uh, your vulnerability in asking this question. Uh, there's a lot of students that are in a position like this, so you're not alone. Um, I, I would say in terms of the calming yourself down, uh, you know, here we are on Wednesday, your, your exams on Friday, you need to be doing very little studying at this point. Uh, maybe a little bit each day today, uh, a little bit, little bit less tomorrow and, and especially tomorrow, tomorrow night. Uh, do some fun things, get out, get out, uh, get around people that don't have anything to do with the MCAT, that don't even know what MCAT stands for, uh, to clear your mind, to relax yourself, go out to eat, go to a movie, uh, just re relax yourself. Uh, in addition, I would say on the morning uh, or, you know, in preparation for the MCAT on Friday, um, what I would suggest is, you know, a good night's sleep is, is going to be important. But um, also, I, I think doing some some breathing exercises, get to the get to the testing center early, maybe 30 minutes early and just sit in your car and kind of calm yourself by some breathing exercises. Good deep breath in, deep breath out, some good positive self-talk. 
uh, I can do this. I can, I can, I can be a, a, a good test taker today. Um, really just trying to, to energize yourself with positivity uh, would, would be, you know, a lot of my suggestions for these next few days in, in preparation for Friday. Yeah. Love that. I would even add, maybe take a quick, you know, test run <laughs> the day before. Right. Make sure you know where you're going. See if there's any construction on the road. Make sure that there's no, you know, anything that's going to throw you off course. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Pack your snacks. Yep. 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 <laughs> All right. Uh, S. Contreras says, undergrad 2.85 GPA with upper trend. Last 15 units were at a 4.0. Using MAP, I calculated that I need 30 more units at a 4.0 to break a 3.0. Is it worth taking more classes? Thank you, love MAP. Well, thank you so much for the praise and good job, right? I, I feel like you've been listening and paying attention because you've already calculated your GPA. You're already working in an upper trend. So you're thinking about so many of the right things. Um, do you need to continue to get credits to break some magical cune line right is is 3-0 some invisible metric that is going to change things for you um i don't think that's the case but is it worth taking more classes which is your question well maybe and i think there's a couple different ways to think about this uh courtney you want to talk a little bit about trends and how you consider them when you were serving as director of admissions sure yeah um Upper trend is definitely a positive. You absolutely want to see that. You want to see the higher level science coursework completed, um, maybe at a better position than you did uh, with your early coursework when you were getting your footing in your undergrad. You know, it's this is a bit subjective, right? You know, there it's always a good thing to raise your GPA, but look at your foundation, see if anything is missing from your core science kind of aptitudes or foundational knowledge, what will help you actually be successful if you were to matriculate into a med school? Cause it's not just about getting there and, and crossing that line. It's, it's about being able to be successful in med school and beyond. And you're gonna need a lot of these courses and a fairly robust foundation uh, for science before you start med school. So if you feel like it would be beneficial, I would say go for it. It, it certainly can't hurt. Um, make sure that if you are taking classes that you are allotting a sufficient amount of time to actually learn and retain the material so that you know it can be builded upon. And the perk is, is your GPA will go up as well. Um, Certain schools will have different ways of evaluating credit hours, whether they go by, you know, last 90 hours, last 15 hours, if they want to see a cumulative, if they consider post-bac and graduate in with everything. So we can look at it any number of ways. Um, so it, it's a bit subjective. I would do some research on some schools that you're looking at or potentially interested in and see if you can gather more information on how that's going to be evaluated and go from there. Anything else to chime in on that, Scott? Or I would just say I, I don't think that 15 units um, 
you, you know, you didn't really uh, give us much information about this upward trend, yeah. you know, what that looks like actually. Um, and, and so my concern is that, um, that 15 units at a 4.0 is great, uh, but if the units before the 4.0 were a 2, you know, a 3.0, uh, now that your undergrad, you know, I, I, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. I, I think probably taking some more classes uh, would be advisable uh, in a situation like this. Up, and when, I'm, when I say more classes, I'm talking about upper level biological science classes uh, at the undergraduate level is, is my suggestion. Uh, but I, so I, I would say better safe than sorry. Optimally, you would do some more classes. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, that would, that would look, uh, that would look good if, if that is, is plausible for you. Agreed. Yeah. The only other thing I'll add, because again, we don't have the whole story here. So maybe you had a 1.0 for two years, and now you've had a 3.7 for the last 60 credits, and it's just mm -hmm. this last 15 that are 4.0, right? Like, not all trends are created the same. Is if you're a mapped user, we can take a look at your GPA trend. Um, it's not something that's included in the free mapped app, but if you're a new user and you're on your trial for mapped pro, then you've got access to us. Or if you choose to upgrade to mapped pro, which is, um, uh, 750 a month if you do it for a year, or 10 a month if you do monthly, then Courtney Scott. Verenia, I, we're all able to just, you know, we periodically check in and look for any messages from students who are in Mapped App Pro. And that's a big one that we answer a lot of times. You can ask any question at all about the pre-med process in there. Um, but one of the most common ones is, hey, I entered all my activities and all my grades. And could you take a look and offer me feedback? And we're always very happy to do that. So if you want an even more personal look, feel free to message us through Mapped App. Yep. All right, what's next? Amber, oh, this is an interesting one. Should you put surrogacy in your application if you did it for a family and it wasn't part of your journey to medicine? If so, should it go in the activity section? I'm doing it during my postback. Uh, we'll start with a couple things. So before we even get into surrogacy, not everything in your application has to be journey to medicine. Uh, the personal statement, the question is why medicine? And that's a common mistake that people put like a life story or a resume in the personal statement. And, and we don't agree with that. We feel like your personal statement, the question is why medicine? So the answer should be why medicine. Um, but that said, there's activities, there's secondaries, there's interviews, there's lots of other places that you're going to give information about your life that is not specific to pre-med. Um, so with surrogacy, that's an interesting one. Uh, Dr. Wright, you've, you've been a, in the, this game the longest. Have you seen that before in an application? I, I've never seen that before, which, you know, doesn't mean anything really. Uh, I definitely think that if this is important to you and it is something that is a significant event in your life, uh, I, I think it's worth, I, I would put it in the, uh, you know, I would put it in the activity section, certainly. Uh, and then uh, this this also sounds like something that could easily come up on a secondary application. And in terms of a question, is there anything else you want us to know or something special about your life that is you know notable or, or whatever? Uh, secondary application uh, uh, essays would fit this well. But I think on the activity section, if you're going to put it in the primary, that would be the place to put it. Yep. All right. Interesting. I'm sure that person's very grateful for you. 
Amy says, I'm in an SMP, a special master's program that I decided to do after submitting apps just as a backup since it has a great linkage. Should I update schools that I'm doing the program or wait till I have grades? Uh, I'm going to give you a third option, which is maybe you don't update at all because not all med schools want updates on their applications. Um, that said, if you are going to send updates, then yes, I would wait till you have grades because otherwise all you're doing is sending a letter that says, hey, I started a thing and that's not very substantial. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you kill this first semester and get amazing grades you're proud of, then if the schools are open to updates, that could be an interesting update, um, especially if you think academics are a potential weakness in your application. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Anand, I'm currently applying to an early assurance program as a sophomore, and a prompt is asking about a time of disappointment in an academic or personal manner. Can I write about a high school experience? Hmm. Uh, it might depend on what this particular program says is fair game. Typically for med school applications, high school experiences are often not fair game, but they also aren't early assurances, right? You're applying to a program where it's understood that you are earlier in your academic career. Um, so my guess is probably yes, but I, I think the definitive word would be the program that you're applying to. Uh, Anyone else have a different opinion on that? No, I agree with you. I think it, it would probably be okay. I mean, as a sophomore um, probably hasn't had enough time in college. Yeah, I mean, it's experience. September of your sophomore yeah. year. So. <laughs> yeah, to experience an academic disappointment. Um, I, I, would, I agree with you, Rachel. I think they should check with their, their program. But um, I think it would be okay, actually. Yeah, See, in this I situation... Agree. For a medical school application, that's not early assurance. I'd say we would say, no, stick to your college experiences. But yeah. Right. It's, it's the timing that makes mm -hmm. this different. Yeah. Jacob, how do most schools organize applicant data? Do they see upper trend with one specific course topic, i.e. general chemistry? Uh, I'm going to let Courtney chime in on this, but I'm going to start by saying it depends. That's often the answer. <laughs> That's it. Our favorite way to open our responses. It depends. It's subjective. Um, we get it broken down about 100 different ways, if I'm being honest. So when you enter your coursework, on the back end of your application, we can see um, kind of a timeline of when you took all of the courses and what you got, any retakes. We also get charts that break down your GPAs. We can do it by topic. We can do it by year in school. We can do it by undergrad and post-bac. We could do it by just post-bac. So we will look at just about everything as far as trends, um, and it's already kind of pre-organized for us. There are maybe a few institutions that will have kind of a customized way of looking at certain trends or things, but it's based off of your application and what was submitted. That's, that's what we'll go off of. And, and I would hasten to add to that also um, that just because they can doesn't mean they do. Um, you know, some medical schools are going to um, look, you know, incredibly deeply 
into uh, into each application at the front end. Now, I would say that the, the other caveat I would add here is that depending on uh, it, it depends a little bit on when in the application process you're talking about. So, for example, on the front end, if you're if you're looking at 10,000 applications, you may not drill down that specifically for each application. Uh, 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 the, if, if an application is on the bubble, for example, uh, in terms of an interview uh, slot, then they may drill down a little bit more to see if there's, you know, uh, trends like you're talking about in, in a specific area. Um, it would also, you know, potentially depend on if you'd already gotten an interview and you're going before the committee, uh, they may drill down for, further uh, in the committee review than they did on the initial review. So uh, it depends a little bit on the, the part of the process you're in and uh, also on uh, a, a, a variety of other factors that might, might dictate how they look at, at uh, the individual application on the, uh, in, in terms of how, how deeply they drill down. Yeah. I completely agree with that. There's yeah. very different processes of screening upfront versus post-interview versus, mm -hmm. and depending yep. on who's looking. So bottom line, they can slice and dice it a million ways and you don't know which ones. Yep. So don't try to guess. Yep. <laughs> it's a game you can't win because you're not in control of the rules. <laughs> right. <laughs> Taylor says, I went on a medical outreach trip this past summer. However, it was only two weeks. And then she's got two questions, but she kept them short. One is, is this considered volunteerism? Um, and two, is it okay to talk about it in my application? Uh, Dr. Wright, I, you want to tackle this? I've oh, seen it very it. frequently. Yeah. Um, and what do you think on that? This is fairly common for people to do medical outreach um, trips during their undergraduate. So I, I saw it not infrequently. I, mm -hmm. I never had a problem with it. I had a problem when somebody would inflate their hours very obviously. Like, I know that you were not working while you slept. And I know that there were other things associated with this. So, so be cognizant of that. Be truthful about the hours actually worked during that mm -hmm. um, would be kind of my caveat. Don't try to aggrandize this um, because that will look a little bit suspicious. Mm -hmm. um, and it's easily, since it is a very common thing, it's easily identifiable. So don't inflate, be accurate. Um, but I don't see a problem with offering this. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say also that, you know, I, I would have admissions committee members that if you, if you put on there the, the name of the organization, which you're going to do that you went with, they'd look it up. They, they would go to the web and look it up. And, you know, if they had a question about it, if it looked suspicious or something, Mm -hmm. They'd look it up and, 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 you know, they could see what the schedule looked like or what the organization talks about in terms of what you're doing. And if, if that conflicts with what you're saying that you did, then that's a big problem. So uh, just be honest and uh, be clear on, you know, what you did. But I absolutely think that this is something that would go on an application for sure. Yeah, I agree. I think here's what, you know, and I appreciate, Taylor, that you asked that you even know the term volunteerism. Here are the things that I think you need to be careful of. Um, and this is not just for you, Taylor, but for anyone who's doing these mission trips. So one is 
sometimes on those trips, because the laws are different in those countries, the students are invited to do things that they would not be legally allowed to do in the US. And that is not a good look, right? So um, you wanna be really mindful of the point of clinical experience is to confirm your desire to be a physician, but it's also to understand what healthcare looks like where you're going to practice it. So if you're gonna practice in the US, you need to be cognizant of what those legal restrictions are. And what I would just say is, you know, when in doubt, don't include the crazy cool clinical story. If you, you know, I, I've had people write me essays where they say like, you know, I was a 17 year old in high school, but my dad was a dentist, dental surgeon, and he let me manage the airway. I'm like, that is really cool for you and kind of terrifying for this poor patient who doesn't know that she had a 17 year old kid doing it. You know, like, I, I mean, I think that person was okay, but like that's, it's not a good look. It's not going to impress medical admissions committees to hear that you cross lines. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, to your point about the volunteerism, I mean, I still think for people who can afford those trips, because they tend to cost a lot of money and they want to do them, it's fine. But if you're thinking kind of big picture, not just about, is it good on my application, but is it good for the world? The programs that do the best, that do the least harm and help the most are the ones that don't drop ship in people to fix things but come in to help build infrastructure, right? So um, for example, it used to be that a lot of surgeons would go to poor rural communities in Northern India and do surgeries and then leave. And that was a nice thing they did. But now we've sort of switched gears and in the last 15 years, it's more likely that the surgeons go and train physicians who are there who are surgeons to do these more complex surgeries that they've never done before. So then when the Americans and Europeans leave, the physicians who live there can still do them, right? And so just, I think if you're interested in the, it not being volunteerism, that's the thing to think about is, is my group coming in like saviors or is my group coming in to try to leave the place better than they found it? Um, and again, it, I don't think that that's gonna be a make or break on every application, but if you're worried about that, that's what I would consider is what, what good did you leave behind you? Jacob again, guys, we gotta give someone else a chance. Uh, <laughs> should you put a short summer job on your application to tell schools what you were doing with your time, even though you can't tell a meaningful story about it? Uh, maybe, I mean, you only get 15 application spaces on AAMC. So for them, I would wonder if you have a more compelling activity. Mm -hmm. uh, for Texas, you've gone unlimited, so why not? What do you guys think? Agreed. A commerce mm -hmm. is also unlimited. So mm -hmm, I always right. tell people if you've done it, count it as long as it's college and beyond. So yep. give yourself credit for the hours that you spent away from studying, away from classwork, mm -hmm. dedicating yourself to something. It gives us, I think, a more complete picture, a little bit more insight as to how you spend your time and, and what you were doing. So um, for for Texas or for a commerce, I would say go for it, especially yep. if you've done it. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. E. Wallace says, of adcoms that have virtual office hours, is it okay to sit in to listen and learn, or should you only participate if you have specific questions to ask? Have Scott or Courtney, have you done virtual office hours? 
Well, back when I was <laughs> back in the old days, there wasn't virtual. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would say to this question, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, if they have virtual office hours, go for it. And if you just want to sit there and, and listen and learn, why not? You yeah. know, that's you know, there's no problem with that. And then if if you know they may be talking about something that brings up a question in your mind that you could ask. Uh, so I don't see a problem with that. Courtney, what do, you, what do you think? I've never heard of this being done. Um, it seems incredibly insightful. Um, yeah. It would be a good opportunity. I I wish more hmm. admissions committees would offer up this information. I think that um, it would be really helpful. So if you have this opportunity, I would take full advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah. And just from our own teaching, right? I mean, we all take turns with Application Academy, which is one of our group advising programs, um, which quick plug will open for next year pretty soon. So if you're applying May 2023, be on the look for emails to potentially participate in group advising with us. But in, in my office hour sessions, and we all do some of them, I usually have a mix of people who are there for very specific reasons and people who are there to just soak up whatever is being offered because maybe they don't have questions, but they're excited to hear answers to other people's questions. Um, I do typically check in with them at some point just to say like, hey, I haven't heard from you yet. Did you get a chance? Right. Just because I want to make sure they're not feeling left out or edged out. But many of them just say like, oh, I'm just here to watch today. So it doesn't bother me. Reckless 24 gram medic. Uh, why are you a reckless medic? That makes me nervous. Right? Um, <laughs> uh, I recently started working alongside a physician that offered to write me a strong letter of rec. Would you recommend me sending this individual letter of rec to all schools at this time, considering I applied mid July? Hmm. Um. If you're going to do this, you would need to do it through one of the accepted verified services or have that person send it directly to the schools. But it depends on if you've already reached your limit for letters of recommendation for your application, in which case then you would have to substitute out something. Mm -hmm. um, so this gets a little bit tricky and it needs to not come from you. So you should not send. Yeah. Oh, I see. There's a follow-up. I've already submitted a committee letter when I completed my secondary. So is there any downside to adding an individual later, letter later? Don't do it. Yeah. I would say, I would say if you submitted a committee letter, then my, my recommendation would be no. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's any harm, but there's also no guarantee they'll look. Right. And the question is, just started working with a physician. So how strong is that letter of rec going to be if you just recently started working with them? Like people get this idea in their head that they have to have a physician letter and not that many med schools actually say they want one. Mm -hmm. I, I think it also depends on where you're at in review. Um, because if you've already been screened or evaluated or you know, received an invite and things like that, there may be restrictions on new material that can kind yep. of be added in and, and looked at at that point. And so um, I would be thoughtful about this. Like Rachel said, I would probably agree. I don't know if there's any harm, but you would need to be thoughtful about how this is 
attached to your application and handled. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Matthew says, how many physicians should I shadow and what's a good amount of hours to shadow for each? Well, somewhere between zero and infinity is the right number. <laughs> <laughs> now, Matthew, I appreciate why you're asking, but there really isn't a concrete answer here. Mm -hmm. So two factors. One is it's incredibly hard to get shadowing. So if you are lucky enough to get one physician to let you shadow, it might be that that's all you can get. Um, now, I know there are some people who can shadow three, four, five, seven doctors. Sometimes it just depends on your connections, how many physicians you know in real life, how good your relationships are with the doctors you see as a patient. Um, and also sometimes it depends on your clinical experience because a lot of shadowing comes out of, I already work near doctors and I was able to use those connections. Um, so I don't think it's fair to say there has to be a certain number. That said, and Verenia speaks to this eloquently, so I'm going to punt to her. There's a point to shadowing that's not about the quantity. So why why do we shadow, Verenia? Yeah, absolutely. So this is definitely a quality over quantity thing. You want to make sure that your your goal for shadowing should be to observe what the day to day life of a doctor is like. What is it like to work with patients? You know, what is it like to do all the other things that you don't get to see um, when you're not a patient. So really the goal here is not um, to have a set number of hours, but enough so that you understand and have insight into what is what the field is about and what's expected of you. So as many hours as you can, there's no limit per se. Um, at, at a certain point, it becomes kind of repetitive because it's just, you're very passive. You're just kind of observing. So enough so that you kind of get a really good sense of what this is like. And then perhaps continue on into more hands-on activities. But I would say don't limit, you know, don't think of that. Is this enough? Is there a set number of hours? It's as many as you can get, <laughs> especially now. We're not, we're not that many people are able to shadow. Yeah. And so quick reminder, mm -hmm. if you aren't able to get all of the in real life shadowing that you would like, um, you can always supplement it with virtual shadowing. Uh, we offer sh virtual shadowing. It's at eshadowing.com. There's lots of great virtual shadowing out there. So we're not the only option for that. Um, this has been happening for two, two and a half years now because of COVID. So um, med schools have shown, and we've talked to deans and directors of admissions who have agreed that it is a perfectly fine way to get shadowing. Everyone knows in-person is the best. But if you get some in person and then round it out more with virtual, that seems to be fine. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say virtual replaces in person, but it can supplement. I would also add uh, in terms of, Matthew, the shadowing that you've gotten, if you get your foot in the door with shadowing one, one physician, once you have done that for a while and you've gotten to know that physician, then what I would recommend is asking that physician if they would be willing to help you connect with other physicians that are their colleagues, especially if it's someone in a different field of medicine than they are in. So maybe you're shadowing at a pediatrician and you shadow them for a while and you get to know them pretty well and you can say, hey, do you have any you know, colleagues maybe in other, other fields of medicine that you would be willing to help me connect with and, and see, you know, so I could get a different perspective on what what their you know day-to-day -day life looks like in, in terms of uh, how they practice medicine and use that as a networking opportunity to uh to to get them to help you if they're if they're willing to do that yeah love that that's a great idea 
Tyler Tran. I'm a dental hygienist and I'm wondering how I should classify it in the work and activities category. Should it be paid employment, medical slash clinical or not medical clinical? Dental hygiene work, clinical or not clinical? Mm. It's like family feud. What's the board say? <laughs> I see it as clinical. I do too. Do. I would agree. 100%. So what you might want to, we're, we're all agreed it's clinical. What you may want to consider, Tyler, is if you're applying to med school and your only clinical is dental, that that may not be the best optic, right. but it's absolutely quality clinical work. Yep. The question I would have for you, if I were your, well, I am your advisor right now, is what other clinical do you have? Mm -hmm. Yep. All right, friends, this is a touchy one. Carmen asks, why disadvantaged applicants have a higher chance to get into med school, especially for domestic violence in their childhood? Uh, Carmen, I'm going to start by saying, I don't know why you think that. I don't know why you're stating it as fact. And I don't believe there's any evidence whatsoever to support that claim. Um, so I just want to put that out there right away that that's a you're asking me why for something that I don't think that there's any proof it happens. Um, I have heard other questions like this, so I understand that you're not the only person with this perception. Um, uh, here's kind of my first thought on this. Uh, med schools are looking for emotionally competent, well-rounded adults, right? Future physicians can't just be people who get great grades and great test scores. They need to be culturally sensitive. They need to have empathy. They need to know how to cooperate with others. Um, you know, you can go look on the AAMC website. They have a list of 12 core competencies that they're looking for in all of their future physicians. Um, so this is well known, right? That, that the med school application process is holistic and it's not just about quantity and, and stats. It's about the human elements. So, do disadvantaged applicants have a higher chance of getting into med school full stop there? I would say the answer is no. And here's why I think that if you look at the populations of America who are considered disadvantaged, you'll see that they are disproportionately represented among physicians, right? So for example, America is what, 12 or 13% African-American and, um, and yet we don't have nearly the percentage of 12 or 13% of our physicians as African-American. So Right now, advantaged people have a very high overproportion of a population and physicians compared to the U.S. population. So that's one. I just um, I want to address that right away because I think that that's an important fact to, to fix. Um, the other thing I would say around this is. I don't subscribe to trauma porn. Right. I don't think that someone has a better essay if they've had hardships. But unfortunately, sometimes hardships do make people more empathetic. So like, that's a bad thing. I don't, I don't think that that's the right way to gain your empathy and not like there's anything wrong with them, but it's so unfortunate for those people. But the truth is sometimes people who've been through a lot, a lot of disadvantages have learned about empathy. They have learned about teamwork. They have learned how to stay cheerful in the face of, of, of huge obstacles mm -hmm. um, because they've been forced to already. Mm -hmm. So they just may have a little more life experience to someone who's been a little bit sheltered. So potentially that's at the root of your question is you're noticing that, that 
mature adults who have lived full lives are getting into med school, where sometimes people who can't really answer why they want to be a physician because their parents told them they had to be a physician, like that, that could be a thing. Um, I, I'm going to stop there, but I'll let other people chime in. What do you guys think about this question slash comment? I agree with your comments completely, uh, Rachel. I, I think that uh, there, there are no, I, I don't know where, Carmen, you're getting this information. If, if you have a source of this information that is for all medical schools in the United States, well, I'd sure like to see that source because I, I'd love to know, know some of that stuff, but I, I, I don't know where that, where that comes from. And, and I completely agree with your, your evaluation of, you know, what really you're talking about is, is not only emotional intelligence, but you're really also talking about resilience mm -hmm. and uh, the ability to overcome barriers that, you know, a lot, a lot of people don't really have that. And so um, it, it is, uh, you know, in terms of a holistic review of, of an application, you know, this is only a part of what, what medical schools are going to be looking at when they're evaluating an applicant, but uh, it can be quite compelling when, uh, when you have an applicant with, uh, with a, you know, a tough story and that they, they've really overcome a lot uh, to get where they are. That, that's a pretty compelling uh, thing. And, and, and so that's what I would uh, add to that. Okay. Uh, this is, um, I've never heard this before. This is um, an interesting thing to pose. I am also in agreement for kind of the, the qualities and the learning experiences that come from that. Um, and I would say, you know, looking back on the, the thousands and thousands of applications that I've reviewed, I've seen anything and everything and I've matriculated that. So I don't think it gives anyone a particular advantage one way or the other. I appreciate transparency and, and context when they're willing to provide something very personal like that and, you know, kind of explain how they've grown from that. But yeah, this is interesting question. Yeah. Or statement. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Never heard it. Yeah. Never so I would just, I would encourage you to check, check your assumptions slash if you really think we're wrong, share, share the source. Yeah. But don't don't tell me that's what I heard because anecdotes don't mean a lot in admissions. That's why we do what we do, because we're trying to help people understand that just because it worked for your big brother or your peer doesn't mean it's going to work for you. We're trying to help people get away from anecdotes and understand the big picture of admissions from what we collectively have seen in our all of us have been in this at least 10, some of us 30 years. Um, so so, yeah, we, we try to get away from anecdotes and just focus on facts and general trends. Okay, moving on. Maya Alexis says, does medical scribing count as actual clinical experience? Can you count medical scribe job, or, scribe job hours as shadowing? Hmm. So uh, scribing is kind of a charged activity. Um, if Dr. Hmm. Graver here, he would say 100% medical scribing should be counted as clinical. There are some people out there on admissions committees who say, well, you, but you're just observing and taking notes. You're not really interacting with the patient. So maybe it's shadowing. Um, so there does seem to be some discrepancy just across admissions about this. It's not one that has a clear line. I think on this team, most of us say, yeah, it's, it's clinical. 
You get mm-hmm. in a nod from, yep. yep. So, so this group thinks it's clinical, in which case, if you're counting as clinical, you can't also count in the shadow. Yeah. Right. So I would pick one or the other. Yeah. And I just think you be, be prepared for, uh, you know, if you get challenged on that, be prepared to be able to, to discuss it and talk about why you think <laughs> it's clinical and, you know, just, you know, that kind of stuff. So uh, um, I, I think that the application is is made so that you can, um, you know, make your contention about what you think. And then if the admissions committee member disagrees with, with that, or if the interviewer disagrees with that, then you can, you can have a conversation about, you know, why you, why you think it was clinical. And, and that can be a very healthy conversation. Yeah. I love that you said that. And that actually holds true for most of these, is it clinical questions that mm-hmm. it's, you know, did you interact directly with the patients? Can you make a case for it? And then ultimately, it's a student decision. All right. Well, we are going to make sure we wrap up on time. Thank you for putting that banner up. I wanted to take a minute to remind everybody, MAPSCON is our free virtual live pre-health conference. For those of you that have been following along with MAPTA Medical School headquarters for a few years, this is the same entity you might have known as National Pre-Med Day, which we had in May of 2020 and May of 2021. We've moved it to the fall. That seems to be a better time for a lot of pre-meds, especially pre-meds who are maybe a little earlier in the pre-med path. Um, it is Friday, September 16th. So next week, it's free. It's all day. Registration is required to get the link. So go sign up at mappedcon.com. That's M-A-P-P-D dot, uh, dot C-O-M. Uh, and we'll hope to see you there. Yeah. Yep. It's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah going to be big fun. We've got a ton of really cool speakers from all over the pre-health world. We've got Savannah Perry from the Pre-PA platform. We've got representatives from Preview and Casper to talk about situational judgment tests. We've got Jeff Polish, who is an expert in storytelling and medicine. So that's going to help you when you're thinking about your applications, but also the way you relate to patients. Lots of cool stuff coming. Plus... We are going to be there. Hello. Oh, yeah, us too. <laughs> Just us. us. Us old folks. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for coming. See you next week, this place, this time. See you next Friday at MapCon. Bye-bye. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.